All right. Well, today is uh, Vision Sunday, and I'm going to be sharing with you uh, this morning on uh, what our focus as a church will be over the next 12 months. Now, a vision is a picture of a, a preferred future, which ideally will inspire passion and buy-in. A vision is incredibly important because it motivates us to get out of bed on a morning, to endure hardship, to make sacrifices, to be willing to invest our time and our treasure and our talent because we know that there's something beyond the now that's worth, uh, valuable and worthwhile giving our lives for. For some people, um, their, their vision is to go on holiday every year and so they, they, they're motivated to get out of bed, to go to work, to make sacrifices, to save their money in order to fill their, fulfill their dream of lying on a beach somewhere in Bali. And they, they just, uh, that's, that's, their, that's their, their goal. And there's this wonderful sense of reward that those people experience when they feel the, the warmth of the sun on their back and the sand between their toes and their uh, sitting on the beach drinking their pina colada. And um, it's a good thing. Vision is very, very important. Whether it's a goal to uh, buy, save to be able to buy a house, whether it's to succeed in our career, whether it's to retire with uh, sufficient income or to, um, to lose weight and to, and to be healthy, vision is important because the Bible says without a vision, the people perish or they cast off restraint. You, you be familiar with that old um, adage, if you uh, fail to plan, you plan to fail. And I'm really big on being visionary and dreaming and planning. But what makes the dreams and future aspirations of the church unique is that our vision isn't grounded in our own wants or our wishful thinking, but our vision is shaped and informed by the grand vision of God. In Ephesians uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 15 to 23, some wonderful verses which I'm going to read to you from the message. Incredibly inspiring. Paul the Apostle writes, That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks. I want to say that I'm, I'm so thankful for the leadership community of this church. Sad to see Mike go, but he's stepping into a new role where he'll be pastoring me and, and other members of our pastoral team. But we've got a, an incredible uh, leadership or eldership uh, community here. I'm thankful for our pastoral team. Uh, Lynn and Nate and, and, and Clint and others. I'm thankful for our care team and our prayer team. We get emails regularly throughout the week from Brenda, who oversees our prayer ministry. And there are needs that are being prayed for regularly throughout the week. I'm thankful for music time. Uh, this week, there are about seven, I hope I'm not exaggerating, but about just under 70 kids here during the week in music time. And one wonderful story, it's a sad story, but a wonderful story. One of the ladies who comes along to music time, two small children, her husband passed away just recently under tragic circumstances. And this lady who's in a desperate situation, her, 
her point of contact or her community is music time. She came here grieving, deeply grieving the loss of her husband. It was uh, Kate and others who were able to gather around her and provide her with love and support. I'm thankful for Bounce Back and the vision of uh, Nikki and Andrew to provide accommodation uh, for people that are at risk of homeless in our community. I'm thankful for our music team and our, and our tech team that sit quietly at the back and fiddle with knobs and all that sort of stuff. I'm thankful for Anchored and for Clint and Katrina for the work that they're doing with our uh, young adults here in the life of the church. I'm thankful for Nate and Lorna who are overseeing the tribe. They've, they've taken maybe a group of one or two kids and they've now got about 35 young people, the majority of whom have no Christian contact, not part of our church, and they're investing in those lives. I'm, I'm thankful for the work at Rosebud Secondary, the work that Liz has done for a long time, helping facilitate um, the Breakfast Club program, providing how many breakfasts, about 300 breakfasts a week? 150 kids twice a week. There's 300 meals that Liz and a team of other people from other churches, but it was originally part of the ministry here at, at Bayview. And also what Nate is doing uh, with the wellbeing um, uh, support program there at uh, Rosebud Secondary. Two days a week in our local high school, working with about 120 kids that are going through uh, challenging uh, circumstances. I'm thankful for Sally and the fitness class, keeping us all trim, and also Ian, who's got started up a, a men's walking group. I'm thankful for Man Up and for the Eternals and for our life group leaders. I'm thankful for our volunteers, the kids' church workers, the kitchen, the, la the, the guest lounge folks, the greeters, the cleaners, the grounds people. I'm thankful for you all. So I kind of get what Paul is talking about. He's saying, when I'm praying for you, Ephesians, I'm just, I, I pray with you with great thankfulness. Then he goes on to say, but I do more than thank. I ask, ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent. In other words, that's his subtle way of saying, you're dumb, you're stupid, okay? Uh, to make you intelligent and discerning. I'm not saying that anybody here falls into that category at all. Um, this is Paul praying. To make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength, all this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Oh, wow. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. I'm reading this and I'm getting excited. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. What is the church? The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. There's some good news this morning, folks, and that is um, I'm not on the throne. You're not on the throne. 
Donald Trump is not on the throne. Uh, Putin is not on the throne. The coronavirus is not on the throne. Jesus is on the throne, and he's building his church. And not only that, he's living his life, it tells us, through his people, which is us. Ordinary people like you and I, Jesus Christ is speaking and acting through us. And it's our privilege, it is our great privilege to work in partnership with Christ. So the million dollar question is, um, what is God up to? What's God doing? Because when we know what God is up to, then our job is simply to get on board and join in. So Bayview's vision is to serve and contribute towards the vision of God. We're not to make up and just kind of decide what it is that we think we should be doing, but our vision sits under and serves the grand vision of God. And I'm gonna share with you what you've heard me share before, but that's okay, because we need to hear stuff again and again to get it into our hearts. Now, the vision of God, according to the Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, who I just think is a, a genius, and according to Walter Brueggemann, the vision of God for the world is shalom, shalom. And he writes in his great book called um, Living Towards a Vision, he writes these words. He says, the central theme of world history in the Bible is that all of creation is one. Every creature and community um, with every other, living in harmony and security toward the joy and well-being of every other creature. The most staggering expression of that vision is that all persons are ch children of a single family, members of a single tribe, heirs of a single hope, bearers of a single destiny, namely the care and management of the earth. And a cluster of words is required to express its many dimensions and subtle nuances. Love, loyalty, truth, grace, salvation, justice, blessing, and righteousness. But the term that is being used to summarize that controlling vision is shalom. Why don't you turn to a person nearby and just... Whisper that beautiful word into their ear. Shalom. Shalom. It is, it, it's, a, it's a one word. Shalom is a one word summary of God's vision for the future. It's God's vision for our world. And if it's God's vision for our world, it is Bayview's vision. Our vision is for shalom. What is God doing What's on God's agenda? What's God's vision and dream? Shalom. And shalom is this beautiful Hebrew word, which, which means it's kind of got many facets. It's, it, it means peace, wholeness, harmony, well-being, healing, and prosperity. And the Garden of Eden is a picture or a representation of what shalom looks like. It is a world in which Nothing is broken and nothing is missing. A place uh, where, where, where peace and wholeness, harmony, well-being, healing and prosperity reign. And the way that that worked, works out is in, in the Garden of Eden. Um, there was, a, was ha harmony in the relationship between God and humanity. 
individuals were emotionally and mentally and physically whole and healthy. Uh, people, the relationships with, uh, between people were harmonious. The people loved and they served one another. And the environment, the created order, it, 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 it flourished. And those early chapters of Genesis describe a time and place where everything was as it should be. Can you just stop and think for a moment what your life would be like if everything was as it should be? Can you just imagine what, for those of us who are blessed to have a spouse or a partner, can you imagine how good that relationship would be if everything was as it should be? Or your family, your home, or your workplace. Can you imagine how good life would be if everything was as it should be. Well, that is God's dream for this world. But sadly, as, as, we, as we know, the biblical story, as the biblical story unfolds, the shalom of Eden is lost. And so the connection between God and humanity is broken. Individuals begin to experience the toxic emotions of fear and shame and guilt and begin to experience sickness and, and, and disease, begin to stake a claim on the human body. Um, love and service is re- between uh, people is replaced by selfishness, violence, greed and oppression. And the earth begins to produce thorns, and thistles. Shalom is no more. And so into this broken world, God has a plan. That plan is to establish a community of people, and he calls that community of people Israel. And God's call upon Israel was to reestablish shalom, to be a model of peace, of wholeness, of harmony, of well-being, healing, and prosperity to a watching world. In Israel, the role of Israel was to be a light to the surrounding nations, to be a sign and a symbol of what it was to live out and experience shalom. And God's intent was that those who observed Israel would look at Israel and say, say, oh, we get it. That's what life is meant to be like. That is how the world is meant to be ordered. So to help them live in shalom uh, with one another, with God, with themselves and creation, God give Israel what's called Torah or teaching or the law. It's it's the first five books of, of, of the Hebrew Bible. And Torah lays out the spiritual, moral, economic, uh, social, health, and environmental principles and practices uh, that facilitated shalom in that ancient world. And Torah explains how we are to live well with God, with one another, with oneself and the land. And when the people followed these God-given principles that were uh, written into Torah, then the result of that was shalom. What was interesting is that Torah said that you could actually um, measure, or shalom could be measured by the way in which Israel um, uh, treated those who sat on the margins of society. And so Israel's treatment of the poor 
and the oppressed, the widow and the orphan, the alien and the stranger was the most accurate barometer of shalom. And whenever Israel turned away from following Torah, and particularly when it mistreated the poor and marginalized, God would send prophets. And their job was to remind the people to live out two things, righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice are two of the most um, mentioned words in the Hebrew Bible. In fact, they appear uh, at about, 900, about 900 times. And in the Hebrew language, the word righteousness means that which is, is as it ought to be. And it was particularly in respect to relationships. See, we as Christians, we tend to think of righteousness as being holy and morally good, and it's got to do with our relationship with God. But in Hebrew thinking, it was actually not inward and upward, it was outward. It was actually more to do with how we treated one another and how we treated the land. Very, very kind of indigenous Australian way of looking at the world. And then the Hebrew word justice means to put things right, to intervene in a situation that is wrong, and to fix it. So in Isaiah 32, verses 16 and 17, it says this, the Lord's justice will dwell in the desert, his righteousness live in the fertile field, and the fruit of that righteousness will be shalom. So when we... Living righteously, that is living well with one another and living well with the land. And when we are um, um, putting things to right and inter intervening in situations uh, that are wrong and trying to fix those situations, the result of righteousness and just justice is shalom. And it's into this very kind of Jewish way of viewing the world that Jesus comes. And in his inaugural message in the synagogue of his hometown in, um, in Nazareth, Jesus quotes from the prophetic imagination of, of Isaiah the prophet, and he outlines his vision for his ministry. And this is what he has to say from Luke chapter 4. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So instead of using the term shalom, Jesus adopted the phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. But when he talked about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, he was referring to what, I would call shalom. They're interchangeable uh, phrases. Shalom, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And as we read through the gospels, we see the focus of Jesus and his kingdom message and ministry was to repair brokenness in all of its various forms. So Jesus' message wasn't about how to get us to heaven, but how we could get heaven here on earth. For Jesus, the afterlife was kind of an afterthought. It wasn't high on the agenda. Jesus believed in an afterlife, but it wasn't a priority for him. His priority, as he outlined in the Lord's Prayer, was your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth, 
as it is in heaven. And it is this grand vision of shalom or this grand vision of the kingdom of God that I hope sits at the heart of Bayview's vision. We want to partner with God to see righteousness and justice. We want to partner with God so that heaven would come to earth here in our little neck of the woods, here on the Mornington Peninsula. And not just here, but to other parts of Australia that we want to invest in and also to other parts of the world where we have some involvement. The reason that we exist and our vision as a church is that there are people and things that are broken that God wants to repair and God wants to restore. And what we want to do is to partner with God in that dream and in that vision. And we at Bayview are to be like a mini Israel. People should look at us and be able to say, oh, I get it. That's what life looks like. That's what a community of people look like when they're going with the grain, when they're living in harmony with God, when they're living in harmony with themselves, with one another and the created order. We're to be a sign and a symbol to a watching world as to how good life can be when we walk in sync with God. Now I've said all of that to say this in the next couple of minutes. <laughs> At the end of uh, 2018, our leadership team, our community, spent a day dreaming of what we would like the future of Bayview to look like. And Habakkuk chapter two, verse two, it says, um, write the vision down and make it plain. And so what we did was we developed a one-page vision statement which outlined a three-year plan from 2019 to 2020, to 2021. And we're now 14 months into our 36-month um, vision. And it was Mike who pointed uh, this out to me uh, not so long ago, that the majority of the goals that we set out to achieve 14 months ago, we've got a big tick next to those things, which is just kind of really fulfilling and exci ex exciting that we've seen, I think it's about eight of those 12 things that we, we outlined, we, we've seen fulfilled or, or well on the way to being fulfilled. So for example, we said that we wanted to invest in and create a culture that is conducive for children, youth, and young adults. We've got a great youth ministry, we've got a great kids ministry, we've got a great young adults ministry with Anchored. But... What's encouraging for me is that the age demographic of our church has, has dropped from what it was to something that's a little bit more in keeping with the community that we're a part of. We said that we wanted to grow and release people to do the work of ministry. And we ad adopted a, an intern program and we've got two young guys that we're training up and developing and preparing them for ministry so that they will be able to um, lead this church or lead another church or go and make a difference in the world. 
Not trying to get rid of you, by the way, guys. We said that we want to develop a process with clearly defined discipleship pathways, and we've got our next, next step programs. But there are two um, primary unfulfilled aspects of our 2019 to 2021 vision statement. Two things that we are yet to see brought to fulfillment or fruition. And so over the next 12 months, two years, this will be our focus the first one is that we said that we wanted to develop uh, this church, this facility into a community hub. And what we said is we wanted to transform our facilities into a community hub by creating multi-use spaces and installing a commercial kitchen. And also we said that we wanted to enlarge this space to be able to accommodate 300 people. To do that and to put in a kitchen, I think will cost us about $200,000, $250,000. Okay, just thrown out there to you very wealthy people. <laughs> See, we've been blessed with a great facility. It's in a great locality. But I have to be honest with you, we're not great stewards of what we have because the reality is that this space is not used during the week. I think the only time it's used during the week uh, is when the cleaners come through and clean it. It's not used. So we have this space, this resource, in a resource-poor community. And we're gonna look at ways, how can we get this space to become a blessing to our community? How can this place, this room, facilitate shalom? And we've got ideas on how we can create more space and create more storage. So if music time keeps growing, we'll wanna move music time into here and free up space in the, in the foyer there. We wanna be able to hire out these facilities so that people in our community can run programs and, and we can build connections and relationships and be a support and serve those in our community. We want a commercial kitchen so we can run a cafe, prepare meals uh, for people in our community um, who, who, uh, who are unwell and be able to serve them and to, and to bless them. And then the second thing that still remains to be completed is the uh, childcare center. We said that we wanted to develop a childcare center and before and after, after school care center. Well, you can scrub off the after school care center because what we discovered is that there is no demand for after school care here on the peninsula. But there is a need for a childcare center and in the next little while, hopefully we, in the next week or two, we will be signing the final documentation and that uh, facility over there in the family center will be um, demolished the end of this month or early in April and the building works will commence and uh, by, the, by January 2021, that childcare center will be up and running. That will enable us to service uh, the debt of 1.6 million that we have on this property. But more importantly, we will be able to engage with over 80 new families in our community, which will then enable us to do one of the other points that was on our 2019-2021 vision statement, which, which was to run parenting, relationship, and money management workshops. You see, um, buildings and programs are only tools that help facilitate shalom. 
They just enable us to better partner with God and the repairing of broken lives. To work with God in this grand vision that God has of bringing shalom so that ultimately one day we will live in a world in which nothing is broken and nothing is missing. And that motivates me to get out of bed on a morning, to sacrifice, to pour my life into something that is beyond myself but has eternal value. And I hope that stirs and inspires you to live and to give your life for the sake of God's great dream. Amen. Amen. So we started with um, Jesus at the beginning and I'd like us to finish with Christ. If the helpers could come and uh, begin to distribute um, the elements uh, for communion. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Luke 24 or you can follow it up on our, our screen here. And the story of um, Jesus on the road to Emmaus and his encounter with, um, with two disciples who were kind of feeling a bit down because they had expectations of who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would do. And they were feeling kind of disappointed and disillusioned that um, the person that they thought that was the Messiah, Jesus, um, kind of didn't tick all of their, 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 their expectations. And this is what it says in verse 13. It says that now that same day, two disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with, with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him and what Jesus begins to do with these two disciples is he begins to unplack and, uh, and explain the scripture to them about the reality of the Messiah. But they still don't understand. They haven't yet seen that the person who is walking with them is actually, is the Christ, is the Messiah. Then it goes on to say, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strong, strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And in that moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. You know, we need a vision, not just of what God is doing, but we need a, a vision of who God is. And it's at the table, it's over the symbols of bread and wine, which we partake of during communion, that we get to see or catch a glimpse of who God is, of who the Christ is. It's there at the table over the elements of bread and wine that this unveiling occurs. And what we see and understand from this simple meal of bread and wine is that God is a sacrificial God who held nothing back but in love gave himself and poured out 
his life for us. And in doing that, provided us a model or an example for which to follow him. And so um, this morning, as you take the bread and uh, drink the cup, thank you, Liz. May you just get another glimpse of the Christ, the one who gave up his life in love for us. Let's eat and drink together.